This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, everybody. It's Dan, and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey, Mary Kay edition. And we've got questions for Mary Kay Cabot about the Senior Bowl, about Kevin Stefanski's offensive scheme, about Baker Mayfield's future and the quarterback market. Uh, as it's evolving and more on today's podcast. Now, our questions for the pod came from Football Insider subscribers. So if you want to get involved in Football Insider, head to cleveland.com slash browns. It's that blue banner at the top of the page. You get a daily newsletter delivered to your inbox. You get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns, and you can become one of our text subscribers. Again, cleveland.com slash browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get all the info and get signed up. Now, here is our Tuesday Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Here we go on the hey, Mary Kay edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Our Football Insider subscribers have questions. We're going to answer as many as we can here on this pod. And Mary Kay, we're going to start with Bruce Moore from West Palm Beach, Florida. He's got a question about the Senior Bowl. We've talked to quarterbacks at the Senior Bowl, of course, but there were other people there. So Bruce says, hey, Mary Kay, did your expectations of the Browns' offseason strategy change in any way after your trip to Mobile last week? You know what? No, I, I would not uh, say that they did because uh, here, here's the number one thing. The top receivers in this NFL draft, the, uh, you know, the Garrett Wilsons, the Chris Olavs, uh, the Burks, those guys were not at the senior bowl. So although five of the top six quarterbacks were there, most of the best receivers were not there. And I think that this draft strategy for the 2022 draft definitely involves acquiring a receiver somewhere along the line. Now, there were some receivers there that you might be able to get in a later round. And there was one that I liked, although he was very, very, very small. And I did not like that part about him, uh, but he was good. He was polished. It was Calvin Austin III from Memphis, uh, but he was just a, a very diminutive uh, young man. And I just don't know if they can uh, do that right now, unless they were going later round and looking at him in terms of a, a speedy punt returner, uh, you know, he's good, sure-handed. Uh, there were a lot of things that I liked about him, but I don't think it changed their draft strategy at all. There were some really good defensive linemen there. Uh, and, and I think that uh, they probably took a, a long look at the defensive linemen um, and, and then the quarterbacks. I mean, they talked to the quarterbacks there. They talked to Kenny Pickett. They talked to Malik Willis. And as I said, five out of the six top quarterbacks were there. I'm sure that they sat down with every single one of them in the event they decide to take a developmental project. Yeah, I'm looking at um, 
some of this winners and losers post from, from uh, Dane Brugler. And the guy who's kind of was getting a lot of the headlines last week is in here as his winner at edge rusher. And that's Jermaine Johnson mm-hmm. uh, out of Florida state, which I think would make an interesting, I guess an interesting decision if he was sitting there at number 13 overall and, and the Browns went on the clock. And, and of course, uh, you know, you, when you look at that receiver position, you mentioned Calvin Austin and I'd, I'd be all for this team taking a receiver at 13 and then taking another receiver on like day three, whether it's a guy like that, just somebody who's a little more, you know, that receiver you take at 13 is like number one, number two outside guy, right? Mm-hmm. If you take somebody later, now you put that guy in the slot, you can do some different things with him. There's not that pressure on him. I'd be all for them kind of double dipping in the draft if that opportunity presented itself. Yeah, I think that uh, the receiver room requires a complete overhaul. The more I think about it, uh, the less I think Jarvis Landry is going to be back. I keep leaving that small window of opportunity open uh, that perhaps they could restructure his contract and bring him back. But the more I think about this, and I answered this in a HamK the other day uh, online, was that uh, is that I just I'm just kind of not feeling it. I mean, I think the fact that uh, you know that Jarvis decided he wasn't going to speak to us throughout the whole second half of the season, I it, I think that means he just didn't have anything great to say. Uh, and therefore he just kind of clammed up a little bit. Uh, now, sometimes Jarvis uh, is out and about at Super Bowl week and he will do some charity work there and, uh, and, and he's on Radio Row sometimes. So we might hear from Jarvis this week uh, in a Radio Row interview or two. So I think that's something to keep an eye out for. But I definitely think that they will be looking at the, the Garrett Wilsons, the Chris Olavs, and, uh, and those top receivers for their number 13 pick, depending on what they decide to do at quarterback. Okay, so speaking of receiver, we got a number of people writing in to ask about uh, kind of the system Stefanski is running um, and, and sort of how it fits the receiver position. So we're going to start with a question from Bill in Apollo Beach, Florida. We got a lot of questions from warm weather cities this week. I think everybody else is too busy shoveling or, or something. So we're getting a lot of Florida, a lot of California, Texas questions Uh, But Bill from Apollo Beach, Florida says, hey, Mary Kay, Justin Jefferson is complaining about Minnesota's offense. He he did a Pro Bowl interview yesterday where he said he was happy to have an offensive minded head coach Uh, and Stefan Diggs left because of it. Is Stefanski married to an offense that explosive receivers don't want to play him, play him, I'm sorry, play in. And can he change and become more receptive to a, a receiver centric offense? Yes, I absolutely think that he can. Uh, I I 100% believe that Kevin Stefanski is open-minded. I think he has a lot of different offensive influences over his career. I think he has been involved with the West Coast system. I think he's been involved with, uh, I know he's been involved with Norv Turner's numbers system, which is more of a downfield type of passing game. So I think he is open to that. And I think what he does is, He tailors the scheme to his personnel. And I don't think he felt that he had the personnel to run three wides very much or four wides very much this year, especially after Odell was gone. So I think he felt he did what he had to do, which was a lot of 13 personnel or three tight ends, a lot of running game and, uh, you know, things that suited what they did well. Also, I don't think he had a lot of faith in Baker Mayfield this year or what Baker was able to accomplish whether it was because of the shoulder injury or what. But I think at a certain point, he just kind of took the ball out of his hands in some respects. And, um, and so I think if he is going to get better quarterback play, 
then I think he will open things up, take more chances, go downfield a little bit more, uh, use three wides, and, uh, and have an entirely different kind of scheme. I don't think he's going to be locked into one kind of thing. If they end up acquiring two or three really good receivers and they feel good about that position, they will 100% utilize those players. There's so many different ways to run this scheme. Like, obviously, we all think about it in the going all the way back to, to Mike Shanahan. And of course, what Kyle has done with it. But even Kyle has run different varieties of it. But just you look at San Francisco and the Rams, they both run this system, but it looks entirely different. And so, I mean, there's different variations, there's different ways to do it. And I know Kyle has kind of morphed it over the years a little bit too, to based on what he has. So there is an evolution here. We just, you know, we haven't gotten to see, we haven't really gotten to see if Kevin is actually willing to evolve it. And I'm kind of with you. I think if he feels more comfortable with this quarterback and more comfortable with the weapons he has, I think we would see a different version of this offense. Well, all you have to do is look at Sean McVay, like you said, and what he is doing. When you have a Matt Stafford with a big arm like that, and then you have a Cooper Cup, and then you add in an Odell Beckham Jr., uh, then you can do so many more things with the passing games out of the scheme. And it is basically the scheme that it's the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, you can show so many different looks out of that play, play action. Uh, you're, you're sort of marrying the run in the past, and you're trying to blur the lines of what's coming. And they can really do that because they have the horses to run it. And, uh, and I think 100%, if Baker Mayfield comes back and he is, looks a whole lot more like the Baker of the second half of 2020, and then you add in two or three really good receivers, then I think you'll see Kevin Stefanski do a lot more. I mean, we saw him do plenty in the second half of 2020. I mean, no, nobody had any questions like this in the second half of 2020 about Kevin Stefanski, you know, just running this button down scheme and, and, you know, not showcasing receivers and, and things like that. It, it, it didn't feel like that at all in 2020. And it won't feel like that again in 2022. That's my guess that I think that they will do whatever it takes uh, to get in line with all these other explosive passing games in the NFL. Okay. A couple of questions about Baker and this offense. And this first one comes from Howard in Los Angeles. He says, hey, Mary Kay, there's chatter that Baker could be best suited for a shotgun offense, not under center, and that of the three tight end offense that the Browns are running and maybe he thinks has been figured out. So this is kind of a, any thoughts on changes in scheme or formation that Stefanski is considering to leverage Baker's talents? And I guess this kind of goes, we talked about this during the season. It seemed like this scheme fit Baker so well in 2020 and then it didn't in 2021 and we were back to well maybe you need to open it maybe it needs to look more like Oklahoma and go back to the air raid that they were trying to run a little bit in 2019 it I, I guess is it the fit is it the quarterback I mean there were a few people that kind of talk about that talked about this when they submitted questions how do we kind of divide that blame I guess well, it's a great question and one that we probably won't know the answer to um, until Baker Mayfield, a healthier Baker Mayfield, gets back on the field in 2022. But I think one of the things that happened last season was the fact that uh, defenses caught up to him a little bit and they took away uh, what I think is probably his strength, and that is uh, rolling out and throwing on the run. That's when Baker Mayfield was at his best. That's when he can see the field. Uh, you know, when he's out there 
uh, on the bootlegs and the keepers and the rollouts and those kinds of plays, that's when he uh, definitely can run his game. Uh, you know, that's when he's at his best. And they took that away to a large extent this season. And they now they've got to adjust and find a way to overcome that and beat that. Uh, because what he hasn't traditionally done well is just, you know, just stay there, sit within the pocket and be able to pick apart the defense quickly and, and you know, find the open man the way that he can when he's on the uh, play action keeper game. So that's, that's going to be a, a big focus in the offseason is, is how to draw it up a little bit differently for Baker Mayfield in the event that you can't roll him out. And um, what kind of personnel do they need uh, so that they can run a different kind of offense? And does, it, does he need to be in the shotgun more? And these are all things that, you know, when Kevin Stefanski said they have to pull it apart, that's what they have to do. They have to pull it all apart and put it back together in such a way that they can maximize Baker Mayfield's strengths because that certainly didn't happen last year. And it also doesn't happen when you don't have enough good weapons out there. And he did not have enough good weapons out there. In addition to Odell Beckham Jr. leaving, Jarvis wasn't as explosive as he normally is. And, um, and it just, you know, and Donovan Peoples-Jones didn't have the step up that they thought that he would uh, in part because he was in a role that just wasn't necessarily right for him. It, it's kind of, sometimes it's hard to tell. Is it the, is it the quarterback or is it the, the receipt, the pass catchers? Uh, these are all things that they've got to try to figure out in the off season. Yeah. And I guess this is like, I guess this is the concern, right? You know, maybe you identify that, well, maybe we open it up a little more and go with more 11 personnel, but maybe you do that. And next season looks like the green Bay game just over and over again. I mean, we've seen when you kind of spread it out a little bit with Baker, he turns the ball over a lot, even going back to his rookie year. And so I'm just not sure, like you said, we're not going to have an answer for this. And I guess that's the risk of kind of running it back with Baker or kind of being stuck doing that. Like, we just don't know. We don't know if it's going to be the scheme or the quarterback. We're going to find out, but it might take a season. Absolutely. 100%. And, and as I said before, you know, did, um, did some of these receivers and tight ends not have the kind of season they're capable of having because of Baker Mayfield's struggles or did Baker Mayfield struggle to a certain extent because he didn't have some of the weapons that he needed. And we're not going to know that either. I mean, that's really the, the difficult thing here. That's a big X factor. If you go out and you add in and you find your own version, let's say you add in your Garrett Wilson and, uh, and you know, you find a couple of other guys and you maybe you trade for a receiver. Uh, are they going to be as productive as they can be uh, with Baker Mayfield in this offense? And I mean, you hate to find out the hard way that it was largely him and not because of the harness and not because of the injury. And I think that's why that they're going to have to have a, a pretty darn good plan B. You don't want to get to week five and, and realize, Hey, you know what? He's got a chemistry problem with the X receiver that you brought in. <laughs> right. I mean, like they can't have that. Uh, as we can all see Odell Beckham jr. Is doing just fine with Matt Stafford. They didn't have any time on task and they are connecting very, very well. So, um, so I think this, these are, these are all questions that are going to have to be answered and you better hope that you're right because they don't have time to get it wrong. This team is built to win now 
And if they really truly believe that Baker Mayfield can win football games for them, then they've got to scheme it up right for him. And they've got to surround him with the right kind of talent. 65% in 11 personnel in that Green Bay game, just for reference, which is the, the yeah. kind of the game I referenced. And I remember after that game in our post game, we talked about like, this is sort of the alternate universe offense. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, you can't just boil down to that one game where you had to fly in the day of the game and whatever. But uh, again, I, it's a little concerning how loose he was with the football in that game as it was more open up. Uh, Mac in Frisco, Texas. And again, this is sort of along the same line. So I hope we're not repeating ourselves here, but listen, if Baker Mayfield is going to be the quarterback, the Browns have to figure this out. Mac, I'm sorry, Mick in Frisco, Texas says, Hey, Mary Kay, what can be done to help simplify the offense for Baker? Since even in year four, he's having issues processing defenses and getting the ball out quickly. So we talked about scheme a little bit, but how do you, can you simplify this? Is that something you can really do in the NFL is just simplify an offense to that extent? No, 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 that is not the answer. The answer is not to simplify the offense. We are not talking about a player heading into his second season or his rookie year or anything like that. You're talking about a player heading into his fifth season in the NFL. So there will be no simplifying what's, you know, what happens is when the defense figures you out, you have to figure out the defense. So what Baker Mayfield has got to be doing this off season is he does have to be working on his processing speed. He has to be working on the cerebral cerebral aspect of the game. He's got to know exactly what he's looking at out there and he's got to slow it down for himself. He's got to know exactly where to go with the football and he's got to get there fast and he's got to get there. If he's not out there, Uh, on a bootleg or a keeper he's got to be able to to do it from within the pocket and I think that the Steelers exposed a bit of a a weakness there by hemming him in and really reading his eyes I mean there were times where uh, you know it looked like TJ Watt was just like okay I'm just gonna I know where you're going with this I know what you're gonna do and I'm just gonna stand here and I'm gonna I'm either sack you or I'm gonna put my hands up and and I'm gonna bat this pass down and uh, these are absolutely things that he has got to overcome and avoid next season. So while he's out recovering from this surgery, I I feel like he needs to be watching as much film as he possibly can. I mean, he should be working right now round the clock. And he's always been known for having a really good work ethic, but I think he needs to take it up to another level and, and really add in the studying aspect of the game so that when he comes back, he is ready to go mentally as well as physically. Yeah, I mean, we, we spent so much of last offseason talking about the value of being in a system for a second straight year and having the same OC, same play caller for the second straight year. Now we're going into year three of that. So it would be a little concerning if all the talk was we're going to simplify things. Mm-hmm. Like this is when this is when you're going graduate level, or at least you should be. This is when, okay, we know the terminology. We know the plays. We know the bread and butter stuff. Now we're going to continue to build on. It's what Drew Brees and Sean Payton uh, have done so well. And it's what all these kind of long-term coach and quarterback pairings and tandems have done so well is take it from, we know the system and now we're going to just keep adding and adding and adding, and, and we don't have to relearn things every year. Yeah. And, you know, as we talked about that all off season, about him going into his, the second season of a scheme for the first time in his career, uh, you know, we also brought up quite a few times the fact that the corollary to that was and defenses are going to have film on you in this scheme for the first time 
they're going to be able to dig in there and, and find your weaknesses because that's what they do. That's what these really good defensive coordinators do. That's what these good defenses do. And I think in general, in general, defenses have started to catch up to a little bit that, you know, the, the Kyle Shanahan, Gary Kubiak, Mike Shanahan, Sean McVay scheme. And, you know, you do have to adjust to that. You do have to try to figure out, okay, what do we do now uh, when they do take away the keepers? And, you know, teams have committed, uh, in some cases, a defensive guy uh, to roll out there with the quarterback and sort of take that away a little bit. So, uh, so I do think that it, it's time to, I would even, and I've said this before, I would probably even bring in a new fresh pair of eyes to take a look at the personnel and the scheme and the film. And I would consult with somebody in the offseason, somebody different and have them take a look at this and try to figure out what can we do to fix this? Because it's, it's definitely broken. Now, I think it will be better if your tackles are playing better. And as we talked about before, I, I did run into Drew Rosenhaus, who represents Jack Conklin. He told me he should be ready at the beginning of the season. Of course, everybody hopes that is the case, but there are no promises when you're coming back from a major surgery like this. That's, he's, on tra- he's ahead of schedule. That's all great. Jed has to pick up his game a little bit on the left side. If you're getting better protection, that will help matters. And if you have better weapons, better pass catchers, uh, that will help matters a lot too. Uh, but I think that schematically, they, they've got to do some things different, differently next year. Okay, we'll take a break. And then when we come back, we've got a Joe Burrow question from Jordan and Raleigh. And back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast, as I mentioned, Jordan and Raleigh had a question about Joe Burrow. It says, hey, Mary Kay, are there any major differences you see between Joe Burrow and Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. Goff and Wentz thrived in their second and third years and then fell off a cliff. What is it about Burrow that convinces people he won't suffer the same fate? I think Jordan is looking at the AFC North and crossing his fingers that maybe the Bengals have a Carson Wentz or Jared Goff situation. I don't see it. What what do you think is different about Burrow? Well, you know, I, I think he has amazing instincts. And I think he's got a really, really great vision. And I think he does have that cerebral aspect of the game down. I think he can be mobile when he needs to be. I think he knows when to take off and run. Uh, I think he is extremely accurate. He was number one in the NFL this year with a over 70% completion percentage. His rating was 108.3, which was number two in the NFL. Um, But like you said, you know, our defense is going to figure him out. They're, they're certainly going to try. They, they will try. I mean, uh, the Bengals found a way to beat Patrick Mahomes. So when you get really good defensive minds on the job, uh, you can pick things apart a little bit, but I don't know. It seems to me like Joe's got what it takes and I don't see him dropping off or, or falling off anytime soon. Uh, I think the Bengals are really onto something with him. Yeah. I mean, this is such a, a weird, a silly thing, but I just think Joe Burrow is different. Mm-hmm. I just think he's one of those guys. You look what he did at LSU and then arriving to Cincinnati in the year he was having before he got hurt. Um, and then this year, there's just, there's something different about him. Like he is just, you know, there, the, there are more talented quarterbacks than him. 
this is probably why people are, are already making the, the way too early Tom Brady comparison. But like there are more talented quarterbacks than him, like Justin Herbert, same same draft class, probably more talented than Joe Burrow. But there's just something there's something different about Burrow. And maybe that changes in the next four or five years. But right now it just feels like this guy's just different. He's just built a little different. Yeah. You know what? I think so too. And I listened to, I was on the zoom uh, with him today. It's Monday as we're taping this. And I listened to his zoom from the Super Bowl. And I'll tell you what, he has got the, the leadership qualities that you need at that quarterback position. And I think that's so vitally important. Uh, He understands how to bring the whole entire locker room together. He talked a lot about that. Uh, He talked a lot about, um, you know, just being able to sit down with anybody on that team and talk to them for 10 minutes. I think he's a unifying force on that football team in that locker room. And then he also has the gamer aspect. He's got the it factor. He is a gamer. He gets that look in his eyes and, you know, it, it almost, I do almost see some of that Tom Brady mentality a little bit Uh, there, you know, there's just, there's just something about them. There's a confidence and there's a leadership uh, that, that says, you know, and it's mature, positive leadership where I'm going to get the job done. So this is probably a discussion to put a pin in for like April, but I heard an interview with, I think it was Sam Hubbard last week. And he mentioned that the Bengals and kind of how close they are and this bond they have kind of started when you went all the way back to OTAs. Mm-hmm. He's like, everybody showed up for OTAs last year, right? And we all remember how crazy last year was around OTAs. Like nobody was doing that. Mm-hmm. One of the guys who was there was Joe Burrow coming off this injury. Like he shows up for OTAs. They had full mandatory attendance. I mean, the discussion about the importance of OTAs is probably a whole other podcast unto itself, but it kind of is little things like that. Like, Joe Burrow didn't have to be there and he didn't have an excuse. I mean, he had an excuse to not be there, right? He's rehabbing this injury. Like who, who wants to go? It's not like Cincinnati has these amazing facilities. Who wants to go spend some spend time in Cincinnati when it's beautiful weather outside and you can go rehab someplace else. But I, I think little things like that too kind of matter and him showing up and, and being there, even though he probably didn't have to be you know, that, that helps. And, and that's, that's a little leadership thing that stands out, I guess. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, for him to talk today all about, he was the one talking about the culture and changing the culture and bringing in the right type of people. And those are things that you usually hear from a coach, but here it was the quarterback talking about this culture change and how, how it just was the most important thing to them uh, to have that unity on the football team. And he also said he believes that the quarterback sets the tone for the culture of the football team. It was just, it was a very, very mature discussion today that he had on that Zoom about all of that stuff. And I think that that's a major reason why they are in the Super Bowl because of, uh, of that unity, because of his positive leadership and, and them all following his lead. And you contrast that to Brown's players leaving here after their, their exit interviews telling us that there was a division between the offense and the defense. I mean, that right there, you're, you're not going to get anywhere if you have that. I mean, if, if you not, are not performing as one and like-minded and all together and in this together, you're, you're not going to get to the Super Bowl. So I think that's vitally important. And I think that starts 
with the players. I think it's easy to say, well, maybe the coaches need, I don't think coaches can do that. You know, I mean, they could probably set up some things where, you know, the offense is doing something. I don't know, but like, that's got to start in the locker room. That's got to be the players that sort of initiate that stuff and, and lead that stuff. Absolutely. 100%. And I will be writing more about um, Joe talking about that Joe Burrow talking about that stuff this week. Uh, because it's a common theme. Everybody that I've talked to dating all the way back to last summer when I did a speaking engagement with Mike Singletary, I asked him, what does it take to get to the Super Bowl? He said, it's not talent, it's leadership. It is leadership. And that's exactly the kind of thing that Joe Burrow was talking about today. And, um, and also, I remember right after the NFC Championship game, uh, do you remember when Sean McVay was talking about Matt Stafford and he, and he said something along the lines of, you know, who wouldn't want to root for that guy, right? right. Um, and I, I, think, I think there is just so much to be said for positive leadership, positive leadership from the quarterback position. And it's something that the Browns need more of. Yeah, and just going back to like, again, <laughs> not that to harp too much on OTAs, but going back to that in hindsight, and look, all this stuff looks great when you make it to the Super Bowl. If the Bengals would have gone seven and nine, and obviously we're not talking about any of it, but the fact is they didn't get to the Super Bowl. It's kind of like, you know, the Browns hadn't accomplished it. Like they haven't done anything. And sometimes they act like a team that, that has, but again, that's a podcast for probably another, that's a whole podcast under its own, right? Well, Dan, uh, real, Mc... real quick. I mean, you're right. I mean, the Browns were the offensive players were in Austin while the defensive players were in Berea. I mean, oh, that's true. I didn't actually think about that, but yeah, now that now you kind of say that in light of what we just talked about, yeah, that's for OTA. So, how is that going to create unity between your offense and defense? It doesn't. And I remember asking when I, I asked some of those defensive guys on their way out the door in their exit interviews. I think I asked Greg Newsom, "Are there going to be efforts in the offseason instead of just having like a passing camp in Austin? You know, might you guys do something where you get the offense and defense together?" Well. OTAs would probably be a good way to go about that. Everybody come to Cleveland. <laughs> How original. But they, they do need to find a way to come together. And I do think the tone does need to be set by the quarterback because I, I felt that there were some lingering, not hard feelings. That's not the right word for it. But there was some lingering division, especially after the whole Odell Beckham Jr. saga between some defensive players and Baker Mayfield. And they need to patch that up and fix it. Okay, let's talk a little more um, senior bowl here. Uh, Rory McGinnis in Columbus. Hey, Mary Kay, do you think the performance of the quarterbacks at the senior bowl and the NFL coaching carousel has made it any more likely that the Browns would draft a quarterback in the first round of the draft? Uh, there, there are reports actually right before we started recording that um, the Vikings new head coach and, and Kirk Cousins was a topic of discussion as you'd expect in those coaching interviews. Uh, the now, maybe this is just lip service. Remember, remember what Cliff Kingsbury said about Josh Rosen, but the Vikings new head coach, uh, is it Kevin O'Connell? Do I have that name right? Yeah, you got it. it. Um, is, is a fan of Kirk Cousins. Again, we'll see. They have to figure out the money and stuff too. But it does feel less and less likely outside of Jimmy Garoppolo that some of these guys might not be available. So does that make it more or less likely that the Browns would maybe take a quarterback early? Uh, well, you know, you're right about the fact that um, that as these head coaches are getting hired, we're getting a little bit more clarity on 
what might happen with the quarterbacks in those cities. And Kevin O'Connell, former Browns quarterbacks coach, Kevin O'Connell, by the way, um, he, uh, he is said to like Kirk Cousins. And it is my understanding that that's kind of vice versa. And so if those two sides can work out the finances and, Kev, and uh, Kirk Cousins is on the books for, I believe, $45 million next year, if they want to pay him that much money and move forward with him, then he's probably not going anywhere. And, you know, that, that is the going rate for a top level franchise quarterback these days. So um, I guess it's just a matter of how they want to handle that position going forward. And do they want to win right away or do they want to try to rebuild and start fresh a little bit? Um, but, you know, Kevin O'Connell, you know, I think Kirk Cousins fits really, really well with him. And I think he runs this, this same kind of a scheme. And, uh, and I, I think he would be, uh, you know, I think those two would fit really well together. And then when you go over to Derek Carr, uh, that's another situation where I know that Josh McDaniels would like to work with Derek Carr. Uh, and the chances of Derek Carr now staying in Vegas have increased with the hiring of Josh McDaniels, but it still has to come down to money. Okay. They still are going to have to come through with a contract extension for Derek Carr. And if they don't do that, then that possibly puts him in play. Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't know if Jimmy Garoppolo is enough of an upgrade for the Browns to want to give up draft capital for him. Uh, I, and, you know, I don't see them, I don't see the 49ers needing to acquire a Baker Mayfield and that big contract when they have Trey Lance. So, um, so I just, I, I don't know if, if there are very many veterans right now that are going to make sense for the Browns. And that does open up more possibilities, I think, for, for some of the younger quarterbacks in terms of maybe a, a developmental guy. And I suppose if one of them landed in their lap at number 13, they'd have to think long and hard about that, even though I really think they need a receiver and a couple of good ones. And if you want some of the best ones, you're gonna, you might have to spend your first round pick on it. But I would be all for a developmental prospect like a Malik Willis at number 13, although I don't love the height. He is under six foot one, and I don't like that. Uh, but when you're that mobile and you're that athletic and you're that strong, I think you can get away with it. It would be a little dicey, but I mean, he would be more along the lines of, of, a, you know, of a dual threat, pure dual threat, Russell Wilson type of, of quarterback. And when you've got that, I, the height is a little less important. So I would, I would take a chance on him at number 13 because you can find almost every other position somewhere else somehow. What you can't find easily is a quarterback. And if you think there's something to this guy and he's there for you at number 13, why not take a chance? If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But you can overcome that. But if you nail it, uh, you could be onto something. It, it's almost like the 49ers have put together this model of how to do it if you're a team that has an okay quarterback, but maybe a guy who's not quite good enough or that you're not super happy with, but you're also not bad enough to like bottom out and get like one of the top guys. I don't know, like, like Minnesota sort of in that same situation, right? I mean, they might all love Kirk Cousins, but there's a ceiling on where Kirk Cousins is going to take you. But at the same time, 
what are they going to do? They're not, you know, they're not going to bottom out for CJ Stroud or Bryce Young or whoever ends up being the number one quarterback next year. You know, like they're kind of stuck in the middle. So I guess that's sort of what happening. What's happening? There's a bunch of teams stuck in the middle. And one of the ways to get out of that is maybe you take a chance on a guy like the 49ers did with Trey Lance. Yeah, it's tough. It's a difficult year for that, too, because there are some intriguing quarterbacks in this draft, but none that anybody is really looking at and saying, wow, this this is the guy. You know, there's no clear cut number one overall pick. Some people think Kenny Pickett is the best quarterback in this draft. I think by now, some other people think maybe Malik Willis is the best quarterback in the draft. I've heard other people think that Sam Howell could be the top quarterback in this draft. So there is no consensus right at the moment on that, which also means that the Browns probably could get their hands, might be able to get their hands on one of these guys at number 13. It's just a matter of, do they think anyone is good enough to spend that high of a pick on and it, it could end up being a difficult a difficult choice because um, you know you don't want to blow a first round pick but you also don't want to pass up an opportunity for a guy that could help you maybe not this year but maybe next year or the year after okay one, one more here from mike in bay village and, and he's responding to the confidence ratings that we did on monday's podcast if you missed that go back and listen we did uh, one through 10 ratings on our confidence level in various areas. So Mike says, Hey, Mary Kay, the confidence ratings you discussed on Monday's podcast were very interesting. I'd be interested in how you would weigh the relative importance of each factor. For example, how important is strong ownership to the long-term success of the team as compared to having a good quarterback situation? I think we can agree that quarterback tops the list. So who leads the race for number two? We've got ownership. We did coaching, we did front office, offensive talent, and defensive talent. I think that was everything. You know what? I think I'm going to go GM at number two. You have to have good players to be good. I mean, you just have to be. You, you know, you're, gonna, you're going to find out very quickly as a coach that you're not going to look very good unless you have a good quarterback and good talent and a good offensive line and, you know, just a really, really good, strong roster. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go GM at number two, and then I'm going to go coaching number three. And then from there, you know, probably maybe offensive talent, then defensive talent ownership. I mean, as long as you just have the money to do what you need to do and they kind of stay out of the way, you know, I, I just don't think that that's an enormous factor. We know that Jimmy Haslam is willing to spend money and do whatever it takes to field a winning football team. So that, that doesn't factor in as much in my mind, but you really have got to be able to acquire the right players and field the right kind of a football team like they did with the defense last year. I mean, this is starting to shape up to be a really good defense. Now they've got to do the same thing on offense. They thought they, they had that kind of nailed, but uh, so I actually, I'm going to put that ahead of coaching because I don't know. I just think it's a whole lot easier uh, to coach when you've got really good personnel. I think I'm going to agree with you. I, I think I would put front out. I think you've got to have, yeah, you've got to have talent. Cause I'm just thinking of like, you know, so obviously Brian Flores has been in the news recently. Right. And everyone talks about that 2019 season uh, when, when the dolphins were not really looking to win and they didn't have a very talented roster and he won five games mm -hmm. and it was, well, he did an amazing job. 
but that also tells you like if you don't have very much talent there's a ceiling to what you can accomplish in this in this league mm-hmm. you can only do so much if right. you want to be a playoff team if you want to be a super bowl team you've got to have talent to actually coach that can take you to the next level so yeah i, I think i would put front office over coaching and as far as ownership is concerned it's really kind of only a factor if it's bad ownership mm-hmm. everything else is just kind of okay as long as you write the checks and let everybody do their jobs that's fine now if you're meddling all the time and you're getting in the way and you're causing problems then that's that's when it becomes more of a factor but you're just kind of a normal person owning a football team not that normal people own football teams but if you're just a normal person relative to everyone else who owns football teams, then I don't know how much it actually matters. Right. I agree with you on that. And I think that Sean McVay this season is the perfect example of how you can be a good coach, but you're going to become a really good coach, perhaps even a Super Bowl coach when the talent level increases. And that is what the Rams did this year. They went out and they upgraded their talent. They got Matt Stafford and they replaced Jared Goff with Matt Stafford. They traded for Von Miller. He's made a tremendous impact on their defense. Then they went out and they acquired Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, those three moves alone have made a tremendous impact on getting them to the Super Bowl. Has Sean McVay all of a sudden gotten more intelligent than he was the year before? No, he's still a brilliant football coach. But now he's got the talent to take him all the way. Well, is Bill Belichick a worse coach now than he was three years ago? <laughs> like, right, exactly. He's still probably the greatest coach of all time. Mm-hmm. But it's different when you don't have Tom Brady at quarterback. It's a whole lot yeah. harder even for a guy like that. Absolutely. Okay, um, I think that'll do it here for our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Thanks to all our Football Insider subscribers. Oh, I do need to give a shout out to someone. We won't go through uh, through everything he sent. Maybe I'll save that for the roundtable. But a shout out to Christopher Wolf, who I left a five-star review on the podcast. He actually emailed it to me. So I'm assuming if you go to the reviews, you'll be able to see this too. He came up with our Orange and Brown Talk drinking game. I don't recommend playing it. This is not an endorsement. <laughs> but of the things we say... Uh, when you should take drinks. And for me, it was promoting Football Insider. So with that being said, if you would like to be a Football Insider subscriber, go to cleveland.com slash Browns, click the blue banner at the top of the page, get info and get signed up. And again, I don't endorse you doing what Christopher Wolf wants you to do when I, when I say the words Football Insider. But if you do want to play along, that's fine. Just, uh, you know, get an Uber or something. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds good. <laughs>